One of the most popular group fitness programs over the past couple years has been bar. Now, there are a number of different ways to do bar. You have classic bar, you have interval bar, and well, we all know how one exercise format can be tweaked to a variety of different ways. Well, what makes bar so popular? Why has this become one of the most popular fitness programs? And what does make a popular fitness program? And how can you create a culture in your health club and with your group fitness program that keeps people coming back? These are all questions that we try to answer every day as fitness professionals. Whether it's bar or any other program, indoor cycling, HIT, strength training, we're always looking for new ways to engage the member and keep them coming back, not only just because exercise is good, but for the, the experience. That's the focus of this episode of the Idea Empowered Entrepreneur. I catch up with Trisha Murphy Madden. She is one of the top programmers. She helped create the Bar Above program with Leslie Bender. And currently, Trisha works as a director of education for Savier Fitness. Savier Fitness works with brands like Gliding and the Bender Ball to help give fitness professionals a variety, a wide variety of programming options for your clients. On this episode of The Empowered Entrepreneur, Trisha and I talk about how she got her started in fitness, very similar to all of us, what failure taught her. I think a lot of us are afraid to fail, but some of Trisha's biggest lessons have come from failure. And also, we talk about programming. How can you step up your programming? Group fitness, one-on-one. But how can you step up your programming to make your club, your fitness, your studio environment more inviting and more engaging for your guests and your members? Now, in this conversation, Trish and I were starting off. I just hit record in the initial conversation. It was such good information that we jump right into it. So you don't hear an intro. All you hear is Trish and I talking about how she got her start in fitness. And from there, you'll learn a lot of information about what you can do to make your bar or any other fitness program the best in your area. Enjoy this conversation with Trisha Murphy-Madden on the Idea Empowered Entrepreneur podcast. I love to teach people exercise, and I love to continue to try new things, see trends, apply them to the people that I work with every day, and see where the industry is evolving. So I started as a fitness instructor at the age of 17, 26 odd years ago, and sort of never looked back. And by the time I turned 24, I looked at programming. It's like my eyes went on to what's attracting members, what's going to bring people to the club, and then what was the retention like. So when at that time, I guess it was uh, 97 I thought, you know what, I've got, just got to go open my own space because nobody wants to put on their glasses for looking at big picture. They always wanted to look at existing members, what existing members want, and not what's down the pipeline, like what's happening. So I opened the club and it was highly focused on, it was called Urban Fitness in Seattle. It was highly focused on group fitness and then it evolved into a full-fledged gym I ran it for about seven and a half years. We call it now fondly in my family, the nonprofit organization. <laughs> uh, that's not, well, that's not the right idea, right? You weren't running a JCC or a YMCA or a Boys and Girls Club. You were trying to no. run a uh, for-profit <laughs> operation there. No, it was an it was a for-profit organization that never made money. <laughs> and part of that is that uh, my vision for program creation, my vision for program launch, 
My vision for retention and membership growth is fantastic. My issue is that I really hate charging people money for that. And so as the face of urban fitness, it was like this magical sweet spot. And people in Seattle still talk about that gym. And everyone thought I had to be minting money. But the reality is when a mom walked in and she couldn't afford the membership, I didn't have the ability to say, pay me the money I, I, I have to charge. So um, I really struggled from a business perspective. I, I never had anybody step in and say, you know, let us run that that piece of the business. Um, the success, though, the successes in group fitness were profound. And um, it was when I closed the whole community, the Seattle Times did an article, everybody was like freaked out about like, how could that business close? And it was just that I couldn't pay myself anything. So um, I would have these like crazy packed classes and we had, you know, whatever, 45 classes a week in this small um, little spot, but I just couldn't make money. And so I was also 24. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. Do you think, because Trish, this is, and for listeners, I just Pete McCall and, and I just hopped right in. Trish was giving a little background. I'm speaking with Trisha Murphy Madden. And please tell me I get this, the sequence right, Trish, because I know I, I'll sometimes say it the wrong way, Trisha Murphy Madden or Trisha Madden Murphy. But it's Trisha, <laughs> Trisha Murphy Madden, correct? Yes, Trisha Murphy Madden. Trisha Not hyphenated. Murphy. Murphy's just my middle name. That was my maiden name. Oh, really? Could so you've kept it as a, mid- as a maiden name? Yeah. That was, you know, I didn't get married till I was 30 years old. And I love Murphy. I mean, I, I'm a Murphy through and through. I'm the last Murphy. Mm. So I had to... I had to keep that. I couldn't let it go. Oh, it's interesting. We gave uh, we gave my younger daughter, uh, her first name is Ryan. Her middle name is Morgan because my, uh-huh. my wife liked the name Ryan for a girl, and I, I liked it too, but I liked Morgan a little bit better. So we, we'll give her that choice later yeah. on. <clears throat> yeah, I did, this, of, go ahead. I did the same thing with my daughter. My daughter is Tabitha Murphy Madden. I gave her my <laughs> family's name too. Well, I like, I like the name. I like the name Murph, <laughs> and Murph, Murph is a good nickname. But when you yeah. look at it, why, why do so many fitness professionals, especially when we're younger, have this, like, we enjoy what we do. We enjoy teaching. One of the reasons why a lot of us get into this is we, we enjoy helping people. Why is there such a juxtaposition between our, why we like helping and our ability to ask for money? I mean, obviously I think as we mature, we realize, no, wait, we need to pay the bills. Therefore I need to get paid. But why do you think there's such a, it's kind of like in our DNA, right? If we do fitness, well, I know I should charge you, but I just want to help you. Well, yeah. why do we struggle with that, Trish? Because it's, we're not, we're not dealing with, I'm not selling them an extra pair of shoes, right? I'm selling them their life. I'm, you know, when somebody walks in and they clearly need the service I can provide, I mean, that was my issue. I had women walking in that had never exercised before, but they were hearing about these classes. How do you turn somebody down who can't afford to take care of themselves? I mean, that's, it's kind of, it's. Mm it's almost like there's, uh, I'm Catholic and, 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 and Jewish together. So there's a lot of <laughs> guilt for me. And at the time I wasn't mature enough to figure out a system for which I make those decisions. It was just simply, I'm young. Um, I'm 24 years old. I'm staring at a woman who I want to help. And I, I couldn't turn them down. And I think there's that it's an immaturity. Um, I think there's also another component of that, which is those of us who get into fitness and we fall in love immediately, there's, there's, there's a certain switch where you fall in love and it doesn't matter what it costs, 
how much education you have to get. It doesn't matter how tirelessly you prep your classes or work. It's you're so passionate about it that you almost can't see through the weeds there and see that it actually has to become uh, a financially viable career. And so you take that initial response to what you're putting out. You know, you have the initial 10 clients that lose weight and keep it off and are telling you like that you're the second coming of it. And then you teach classes and, you know, 60 or 90 people are walking in the door. I mean, that was a really powerful thing to have happen at, you know, in 1996, I was just so overwhelmed by that. And then I immediately thought that that meant I needed to take the next step and open my own gym. And I think I'm seeing that now with instructors, I, I've, I've watched so many times in, in the orange theory world where they bring in these trainers and these trainers are put in under their system and, and they're talented and they're young and they're vibrant and um, excitable and they've learned a system and they teach a class and it's packed. And all of a sudden ego starts to drive um, their next steps. And the reality is it's very difficult to be in the gym business. It is a, it's a it's a truly challenging business from retention to uh, membership gains. And I think when you're young and you have all these people walking into your class or your your clients are just, you know, lining up to be with you, your ego gets in the way. And you're like, "Oh, I can do this on my own." And then when it really comes down to it and your life is on the line and and you're afraid to ask for the money you deserve, you kind of sit there stumped. I mean, I'll, I couldn't believe it, but I literally, I was short on my rent at one point and went out and sold the couch I had. And then I sold my bed frame. I mean, I was down to like my, I remember my mom walking in my house going, you have no furniture. And I was like, yeah, well, I needed to pay them, <laughs> pay the rent on the gym. I mean, I would have done anything but charge people. That's, <laughs> but that's such a, but that's such a, that, that, that's such the approach that many of us have when we get into this. And it, before we start talking more about the business of fitness and kind of how you evolved into programming, you you were a dancer by background, uh, according to your bio. What do you think you would be doing, Trish? And this is kind of a loaded question, but I like asking it of, of the leaders in our industry. What do you think you would be doing if you weren't making people sweat for a living? Like what would your – and this is a, a strange question to ask because we don't know. But what would what do you think you'd be doing right now if you weren't you know making a living wearing sweats and with your hair pulled back? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've asked myself that many times. In fact, my daughter brought that up the other day. I was about to take a trip and uh, it was recently, I had to go to Maine for 32 hours and it was not supposed to happen. And I had to say to my eight-year-old, I have to go on another trip. And she said, I don't want you to go. And she went on this sort of rampage and I said, okay, well, let's talk about that. You know, what is, what I do takes me away sometimes, but would you, what if I quit this And I got a job at Amazon, let's say, but would you be okay if mom worked from eight to five, but couldn't pick you up from school? Would you be okay with that? And then she said, well, what would you do at Amazon? And I said, I don't know. I'd probably be in marketing or sales. And she's just as sweetly as could be said, you would be miserable. (laughs) (laughs) Smart young woman. That's just a smart girl. (laughs) Smart girl. But the truth is I'd probably be... I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm not always the best entrepreneur. And, and, and one of the reasons I've, I've, um, one of the reasons I sold the company that I work for now, my bar program is that I recognize quickly that my vision 
was stronger than my business development side. And so I, I sold it, which was a, a really good move for me. But I don't think I could not have a business. I, I started my first business in high school. Um, embarrassingly, it was called Trees by Trish. And it <laughs> to date, it was the most profitable business I ever ran. <laughs> yes. That's because you're probably living at your parents. And I don't, I'm not laughing. I, yep. just, I can kind of commensurate with that. But you're probably living at your parents' house. Your expenses were low. And yeah, interesting. That's right. I, I decorated very wealthy people's Christmas trees and charged them $200 per two feet of Christmas tree. And it was just one of those businesses. Whoa, 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 that, whoa, 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 whoa. Trish, yeah. you charged $100 per foot for decorating a Christmas tree, but you couldn't oh. bring yourself to charge money to, to let somebody come and, and exercise with you? There's I know. A little, <laughs> there's a little, I mean, kudos to you for charging that for tree decorating, but you, you have the ability to charge for your service. What, what was it? What happened? At the time, though, I was, you know, that's the thing. I was 16. I had a natural talent for decorating, right? I had, I really did have this sort of innate artistic talent with trees. And I had nothing to lose. I was, I was 16. I, it's like, I sort of, whatever I wanted to try in life, my parents were sort of always behind me. My parents were both marketing education teachers. So there you go. My, my biological father was a really successful entrepreneur. So it, it was like, you want to try it, do it. And so at the time I had no issue sending my book in and telling them what I charge, but I did it all on paper. I would send them a proposal. I would, you know, ask them for, to sign the contract. And I really never had to face to face say, you're paying me for it. it, There wasn't a one-on-one conversation. As I got older, I started to question my value. And I think that's where, you know, as you get older, you, you, I, I honestly feel like for the twenties and thirties for me, it was just about constantly questioning my own value, which is so crazy but there's a combination of things like you get older, you're 18, you start dating. I was really young to date. Now, you know, here I was this confident kid. All of a sudden I start dating, you know, you get your heart broken a couple of times, you go into a job you're not wildly successful at, or you're, you know, you start into these things and you just start to question yourself. So I, I think that the ego is really fragile. I also think that my, um, financial situation changed. And so as soon as the net is gone, so in my mind, when I lived at home and I could charge people for these trees, I had a home to go to. I had a bed to rest in. When it, when I opened my own gym and had to pay the bills, I had no net, like that was it. Um, so I don't know how that affected me, but I, I still, to this day, have a really hard time saying to even people in our industry, you know, I really deserve to be paid more than you're willing to even offer me. And um, I, I want to get better about it. Well, and I think this, this conversation I've been having uh, with a couple of different guests on this podcast, Tricia, is I think a lot of us like what we do and we have a hard time asking for the money. And I think sometimes there's a sort of a jealousness when we do see somebody that, that asks for the money and, and receives it, you know, and, and gets paid it. What do you think, what, what have you done differently to help you be more confident about, you know, marking yourself and about asking for what you are definitively worth? Oh gosh. I recently had a, a situation where somebody was asking me to, 
to change the way that I was compensated. It was a contract job. And I just, I don't know what happened, but I looked right at them and I said, the only way we're going to be negotiating anything different is if it's more than what I'm paid now. Nice. I, I, I like that. And that was it. Like it either has to be more. It can't be different. It can't be a different pay structure. It has to be more. And I parlayed that into a conversation about the the numbers, you know, pure numbers of, of what we've accomplished since I took on that contract. And the conversation ended because the reality is this person wanted to negotiate paying me less, not negotiate paying me more. And and I just I could I mean I absolutely was astounded that the conversation was even going to come up. Well, congratulations to you. I mean, kudos to you for directing it in, in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that that conversation should have happened, you know, five years ago. That's that's the problem is that I look at those situations. I'm like, why didn't I just say it? It was so easy. I mean, I, I, I watch my husband sometimes go to companies and do projects and he has no problem asking for the money that his company deserves to be paid for the services. And I'm thinking, why can't I do that? And I think in the fitness industry, we spend most of our time, you know, worried, well, if I say no, who will say yes? And um, we're told, you know, oftentimes that that's the case. If you don't want to do it, somebody else will. So why don't we walk away? I, I, you know, I think it's because we're afraid we'll be replaced and we'll become irrelevant to the industry. And so there's this, the industry kind of has us where they want us because we're willing to walk into the, the, um, job afraid of losing our job, which is, isn't that a weird thing, right? Because in other industries, like your husband, I know does some consulting, my brother, Works in in software. He he. I don't know what he does, but he does something very. I know he's in your neck of the woods, uh, consulting with Amazon from time to time. And when you look at this, like when my brother, you know, gets a contract to go travel for work, his contract includes a business, like and even international includes business travel. He doesn't get. He doesn't go economy. He goes business. Meanwhile, you and I are like fighting for. We have to use our miles, use our thing. We have to fly. You know, in order to get like, can we get the upgrade? Cross our fingers. You know, pray pray to Joe Boo to get the upgrade and stuff. It's just, you're right. I think there's so many people that want to do what we do that it devalues the market. Yet what we provide is such a, and and I think it's becoming more of an essential service. So at some point, especially as as we become more mainstream, as fitness becomes more mainstream, I think we're going to see that shift. So let me ask Mm -hmm. a question to kind of, to to step away from the business side and and talk about programming. So as your your fitness facility shut down and and you wound that down, How'd you get into programming for other people and specifically programming for the various organizations that you've worked with? Well, I first, when I left, when I closed the door of my gym, I actually emailed the, and anybody in the industry in Seattle that I knew and said, listen, I'm closing my gym tomorrow. I want you guys to know. I've always had a really strong relationship with club owners in Seattle. Really, um, it's been a an important thing to me that, that our community stays connected. And I immediately received three emails back with what, what do you need to be paid? I'll hire you. And that was incredible. So I took a job that night. I took a job with uh, Denali fitness in Seattle, which I'm actually still at teaching. And I, oh, really? I was their group fitness director for 10 years and they hired me right away, offered me a great compensation package And 
I right away dove right back into what I was doing at Urban Fitness. And the nice part was I could just focus on program development and club evolution. I, I think where where my strengths lie, and I think I discovered it, geez, about a year after I left Urban Fitness, is that my strength lies in seeing how clubs need to evolve. And I, my strength is seeing that most clubs don't evolve. Most clubs open their doors. They literally pray their members don't leave. They only service what the members that are there want. And they never look at what's next and how to be ready. And when the competition opens up, instead of um, you know, a preemptive strike and, and seeing it coming, as an example, you know, these all these cycling studios are coming, all these cycling studios are coming. Okay, well, why aren't we offering specialty cycling before they come into our market? Why aren't we adding uh, one of the things I did long before Flywheel and SoulCycle came into our community? As I said, they're coming. They've announced it. We hopped on board with Polar and did that all of that stuff before Flywheel even came. So you almost have to have your eye on potential competition. You have to have your eye on potential trends. You have to be willing to respond. You have to be willing to change. You have to be willing to tell instructors, like, listen, you're either evolving and changing or you're not. And so I had that 10 years there at Denali to sort of fine tune that. And unfortunately, then I kept getting offered work with different programs, sometimes very um, confidentially. I was on the back end of programming. Um, and then with Xavier, Bar became something I just had to work into full time. So I had created a bar program for Denali Fitness eight years ago when I noticed that bar was starting to pop up in San Francisco, New York, and LA. It was just sort of evolving. And when I was out in New York, I would start taking these bar classes. And I was like, you know what? This is coming. It's going to stick. I can feel it in my bones. But it's also not going to work in its existing structure in everyday gyms. So what works in a studio is not going to work in an everyday gym. But the gym offering needs to match the consumer's expectations well enough that that they retain their members. They're not losing them to the bar studios. And so that happened. I wrote the program and partnered with Leslie Bender because she was a Pilates expert. That's an, another story because in bar, you have to have really these four components of, of um, programming as your expertise. And I was really missing that Pilates component. So I brought her on and that was a great decision. But then I was rolling into it and finding some success on my own. And Savier came by and said, listen, we have got to make a move here and, and scoop the program up. So he acquired my brand. And then within about six months, he said, somebody's got to take this and get the ball rolling and let's go. So then I came in, developed the master trainer team, sort of took off. And um, that's what I've been doing really the past two and a half years. And that's and it's interesting. I want to take a step back and ask about the clubs, because I believe a lot of people listening to this, um, Tricia, can, can relate to you that you walk into a gym and you can tell it's funny, in doing this for a number of years now, I can walk in almost any gym and I can tell immediately whether or not that gym is going to be a success or whether that's going to be a, you know, a potted plant store in another eight months, you know, yep. just because you can kind of feel the energy. 
in your experience of doing this, what do you what what is it that an operator owner needs to do to keep keep people coming back? I mean, what is it that that makes like at Starbucks? You know, Howard Schultz set out. You know, to, to use a Seattleism, <laughs> I'm going to relate yeah. back to Seattle. Everything's going to relate to either Seattle or Amazon. For listeners, uh, Trisha lives up in Seattle, so got to bring Jeff Bezos or uh, or Howard Schultz <laughs> in every conversation. I think it's a city law, isn't it? Um, it is. But when we look at Starbucks, <laughs> Starbucks created that third space, right? Of neither yeah. work nor home. What is it that that it? What makes a gym or a health club or a studio that third space? Like, what is that yeah. intangible? And obviously, it's intangible, so you may not be able to define it. But from yeah. your experience, what just what keeps you coming back to a place? Well, it's so interesting. The article that was written about urban fitness when it closed compared urban fitness to that very theory um, and recognized that that's why everybody was so passionate about that business is that it was it had that third place for everybody. And I think every gym says they want to do that. They all say, "I want to create a space that feels like your second home." But very few gyms know how to take the steps necessary to create that space. And they're not willing to put the work in. I think, I think what happens is most owners go in with great intention and then they get bogged down with membership relations or equipment keep up or payroll or the stress of the finances. And I think they start to lose the vision that sort of open those doors. And I think part of my issue as a gym owner was I was so focused on, on community connection and creativity that I sort of turned a blind eye to the other side of things. So I think there's a really big balance there. And I think any gym owner who's an individual who thinks he can go in and do all of that, both run the business and create that space, that community, that tribe is, is going to fool themselves and be out of business because there's no way to really hold both lines at least and keep your sanity. So in terms of how to, create that community. First of all, it has to be authentic. You actually have to really love what you do. And I think that's why I started the conversation with, you know, I walk in, I mean, today I slept about four hours last night. Um, I'm just kind of coming off a bunch of work travel and I needed to catch up on emails and course holidays, yada, yada, yada. Um, but I walked in today as tired as I've felt in a long time. And I walked in and I, clicked on that music. I looked out at that crowd and I, it's like, it all goes away, but you ha that has to be authentic to the trainers. It has to be authentic to the front desk staff. It has to be authentic to the gym. You have to actually really enjoy it. And that comes out. You also have to love the people you work with. You have to really, you know, if you're a gym owner or a gym manager and when your staff walks in, if you're not high-fiving them, talking to them, engaging with them. If there's distance between you and your staff or there's distance between staff members, the gym's never going to make it. Because if the members sense relationships amongst the personal training team and the fitness instructors and the front desk and the club owners, they want to be a part of that, right? They want to be part of that, that community. They want to understand what it means to belong in a wellness space. We all know how to belong when it's go out and have a drink and sit at a bar. That's, that's easy. It's an easy trick. Most people want to know how to connect with people on a much deeper level. And so gyms can create the space where it's like, we're all here to make ourselves better. We're all here to make ourselves stronger. And they want to become an integral part of that. So 
unless your team is driving that and your team is displaying that, I think it's, it's totally unavailable to the members. The members aren't going to create it themselves. And the gyms have literally handed the studio business all of their business the past few years because they didn't understand that. They didn't understand what it means to be excited about your job. When you walk into an Orange Theory, and I'm using Orange Theory as an example, but when you walk into an Orange Theory or a Pure Bar or, um, gosh, a Core Power Yoga, I mean, I'm addicted to Core Power Yoga because I walk in and every time the instructor walks in and is like engaged and they force the, the instructor to check the person in, they pay them for that time and there's connection. And at the end, they say, here's my message. And gee, if you'd like to talk to me more about it, I'll be at the desk for 30 minutes to talk about that. They pay their instructors for two hours. I mean, listen, there's that's that matters. That That is what's engaging people. So when we show up to Core Power and there's 60 people in a class, that's it. That isn't happening in gyms and YMCAs and JCCs and, you know, small mom and pop gyms as much as it needs to. There's no connection. And club owners are afraid to say you're required to come in and work for an hour and a half, not an hour. They don't want to pay them for that time. I mean, the best thing I ever did was start to compensate my instructors for an hour and a half for the 15 minutes before and the 15 minutes after, because that's where the really good stuff happens. Right. And that's where that's but that's one of the reasons why group fitness is so magical is because you do create that connection. You do create that treadmill is not going to give you knuckles. That treadmill is not going to high five you. That bench isn't going to, you know, ask about your kids, ask about, you know, you, you know, whether that birthday party you went to was fun, that it creates that connection. Then why do you think some operators don't value or don't place a lot of, don't place their resources in the instructors? We, we see operators that do it really well and, and you see it thrive and you see other operators that look, look at group fitnesses just an expense category and they treat it right. that way. They don't treat it as an investment. And to use this, I'm going to take this a step further and ask you in this context, Trish. So saying that about creating community, why do you think bar? Because bar is one of those things you, you spotted the trend, you know, and again, maybe it's just me being a guy and, and you know, I, I'm not going to be as in tune to things like that, but why do you think bar has been so popular and why do you think it's become such a I would argue this become one of the probably the f- mainstay formats that we're going to see for the foreseeable future. I don't think personally, I don't think bars going away because I see mm-hmm. it being so popular. Why do you think talking about what it takes to create community? Why do you think bar has that special it that that it factor? Well, there's first and foremost, there's a shared experience. So when you take a bar class, there's going to be at least three moments in bar class where the bubble over your head is, I can't do this. I'm not going to survive. <laughs> and then you do. And there's a certain connection in that, that, that happens in group fitness that, that really hasn't happened in a while. You know, it, there's a lot of formats out there that are really inspiring, but there's very few formats where you look around the room and you get through it and you're like, you are mentally high-fiving the person next to you because holding a squat for four minutes and, you know, going into this like very like intense challenge, it's, it's muscular endurance. So you're doing something for a very long time. It'd be like running next to somebody on a treadmill for four minutes. It's like you get this connection. And I think so there's a shared experience. I also think that bar is a category where everybody can do it in the room if it's taught correctly. So when you take 30 people and 
and three are in their 70s, three are in their 50s, two are in their 40s, two are in their 20s. You know, it's like all of a sudden you spread that range out and everyone's having the exact same experience. Man, it's a powerful tool. It's like this is not a class just for the young and elite or this is not just a class for the active aging. So, you know, people are always like, do you have a senior bar program? I'm like, yeah, it's called Bar Above. Do you have a 20, do you have, because if you're teaching range of motion, if you're giving people options, if you're inviting people to work in a range of motion that works for their body, it's a program for everybody. If you're, you know, it's, it's just like, if you're selling the options correctly, the format should work for everybody. And I think that's one of the main reasons. I also think that bar is a category to, to stay around long-term because it's similar to body pump. Bar is a, is a muscular endurance program. And if you look at all the categories in group fitness right now, there's not a lot of muscular endurance in there except for body pump. And so people can take Zumba, they can take cycling, they can take HIT, they can do all these things. But at the end of the day, we haven't really been doing a lot of muscular endurance. In fact, I think most people hadn't done it until they started doing bar. And so if you, like right now, if you were to go take eight weeks of, of of bar classes, I swear, and you're an incredibly fit person, I think you'd actually feel the difference because of the way it's structured. So people are getting results. They're just, their body's shaken up because they've never done muscular endurance. So it's just not another cardiovascular workout. It's not another strength workout. It's really something unique. Um, now it's not unique to you and I, because we know what muscular endurance is, but it's just not offered. And I think for the same reason that body pump when it's on a schedule is always packed. It's always packed because people see results and then people go away from body pump for, you know, say six months. I've seen this a million times. People are like, yeah, I stopped taking body pump. And all of a sudden I looked in the mirror six months later and was like, girl, you got to get back to some body pump, you know? <laughs> and I think, I think any program that does that has that effect on people's bodies is fantastic. The one thing that I do see as a concern is much like other trends there's a tendency for businesses that rely primarily on that trend to make their living. So a, a bar studio specifically, they have a tendency to say, oh, you love bar studio. You need to do this tuck fest with us and you're going to do 30 bar classes in 31 days. And they really try to retain membership through um, control, right? So if I challenge you, I, in fact, I, I was working for a studio recently and I sat down with the owner and said, you guys just ran a 30 day challenge and your classes were full. I want you to look at your numbers the week after it's over. Because what happens is people, they do it for 30 days. They're invigorated. They're all excited. They're totally busted. Their body hurts. They haven't done anything else and they stop seeing results. And so what's happening with bar is that very thing. Like these studios are really trying to hold on to their business instead of saying, Hey, we're a bar studio. Everyone loves our programming. I'm so glad you love my bar classes. There is a great yoga studio down the street. How about tomorrow? I meet you guys at that yoga studio. We'll do yoga tomorrow and then I'll meet you back here on Friday. That kind of conversation. Everyone's afraid to do that because they're holding on to that, those people so tightly. And then as soon as those people fade away, they go do something else. So to me, Bar is going to be around. It just, we have to continue to think about it as a category of fitness, not the only, I always say it's a piece of the pie, not the whole pie. And I think that'll keep it 
that'll keep its longevity um, as we hope it will. I mean, I hope it's around forever and ever, and I think it will be. I think you're 100% correct, but I think the way we program it will dictate how long it stays. Well, as you say that, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, because when you look at this, and I'm a health club guy, right? I've worked in health clubs for years. I've always gone to health clubs, and I respect studios, and, and I understand the role that studios play, but my fear is, and, and I think we're getting ready to run headfirst into a recession in the next year or two. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you know, I did that trends blog recently and you gave me some input on it. And one of the trends I put on there is we got to get ready for the next recession. And we're coming mm-hmm. into 10 years. And for listeners, there are no significant economic indicators right now, but we're, we're going into eight or nine years of economic expansion. And since World War II, every six years, the U.S. economy has averaged a recession. So we're about three years overdue for that. And you have to understand, mm-hmm. Trish, that I was an economics major in college. <laughs> this was a, mm-hmm. <laughs> fitness it's was coming. always a hobby. So this is this is much more I pay attention to this. But my fear is like with all these studios that we've had out there, we've had this explosion of studios from Orange Theory to Cycling to Bar. Studios are great, but when they only offer one option, just like you alluded to, it makes me a little nervous because it's not a very resilient business. Mm-hmm. Meaning that if the economy all of a sudden shifts winds. Well, I might not be be able to pay two hundred bucks a month to go to my favorite you know studio because it only does one format. Do you think? I mean, you just kind of alluded to this. Do you think it'd be a smart idea for operators and studio owners to start kind of kicking the tires on what else they could offer to open up? And, and why do you think that would be important? I mean, I'm seeing it already. I, I'm seeing in the bar category. Uh, I probably I visit so. I think you kind of know this about me when we travel together. I'm obsessed with any town I go to, any place I go to, I need to know, I need to be in any studio possible. So if I'm at a fitness conference, I leave the conference and go take classes in that community because I want to see what's happening and what's going on. Take me, take each... me with you sometime. Yeah, seriously, uh, I mean that. Next time we can do that because one of the things I want to be able to do ultimately you know, moving forward with this podcast is give different reviews for yeah. a formatted like an F45 or an Orange Theory and yeah. understanding that every location is going to be different, every coach is going to be different, but to give a review on that. So please, you know, yeah, I, I mean that as you go forward. Let's do it. So when you travel, you feel you have a compulsion to visit studios. Go ahead. Yeah, because I want to see what works in Dallas, which doesn't work in Seattle or what works in New York City, what the adaptations were in Wisconsin. I want to understand that. The other thing that helps is that I start to see how they're tweaking their businesses. So for example, one of the things that's happening in bar, and you'll really laugh about this. I'm sure you've seen it on the schedule. I taught a workshop for idea this past year called hit the bar. And it was a workshop where I talked about how to incorporate hit training into bar classes because all three of the largest bar franchises in the past two and a half years have slowly incorporated cardiovascular work into their bar classes. So for example, if you, if you go to a, um, pure bar, I think they call it empower and it's a, um, they have a little, almost like a miniature step in their class and they've incorporated that into their bar classes. If you go to exhale yoga and spa, where really truly the creators of, um, the originators of bar in the United States, live, they've now offered cardio bar. So what they're doing is they're feeling that. I think that there's some, there's a natural intuition that I think good business people 
have. They start to read that energy. And so I think they feel it out. And then as a, as a whole, the bar category started to add cardio. And that's why I started teaching the workshops on it is that I started seeing it happen in these big franchise businesses. And I wanted the gyms to be able to respond to that. But I think long story short is that I think they absolutely are afraid for their lives. And I think, you know, the gyms need to, and I'm, I'm a studio instructor as well. I teach at cycle bar and I've taught at studios here and there, um, as well as big, uh, multi-purpose gyms. But I think the gyms right now should be evaluating what they offer, how they sell, what the sell-in is, what their price point is, what their, what their, um, additional revenue streams could be and how they could start to upsell. So like, for example, I've been for years, um, pitching one of the gyms I work for to build a studio within studio. So uh, for an example, Denali fitness. So I teach at Denali fitness instead of just calling my class indoor cycling at Denali fitness, I want it to be you know, cycle at peak studio in Denali fitness. I think big box gyms should start to figure out how they're going to grab those studio attendees who can afford $200 now, but fast forward a year and can only afford $80. Oh, wow. Denali's all of a sudden got peak studio. So now I'm going to create this studio experience within my multi-purpose facility. And I, I don't think any gym is willing to have that conversation because they're thinking, well, why would I do that? I've already got people in the classes. What does my adaptation need to be? And I'm like, well, you've got to reach out and grab that customer because Peloton is coming after that customer. Peloton is going to be the affordable second choice to studio business and the gym business is going to be, is going to miss it again. Do you I know think what I, I, and I'm sure you're seeing, sorry to cut you off. I'm sure you're yeah. seeing this too, but I, I teach at a, you know, my, my, uh, and I, and I say this and, and I love the group. I love the mission, but I look at my volunteer, my community services. I teach at a YMCA and I make, I make less now than I did when I first started teaching 21 years ago at the YMCA. I mean, I literally am making less, less per class now than 21 <laughs> years ago. And if I look at it and I just look at it, it's a great environment, good kids programs. But what the YMCA's have done in San Diego is they've brought in Peloton bikes. And now when I go teach a cycling class, Trisha, there's a studio with 30 bikes in it. And then over to the side are two Peloton bikes. And, they're they're, they're, and every time I'm sitting there teaching the class and yeah. I'm like going, why? We have a live class, live people, live music. Why is somebody sitting on a bike looking at a screen like what did we miss you know i mean obviously we know like daily burn and other streaming you know les mills has their streaming programs we know this is a thing but what did we miss what have we missed in the instructor experience that would mean that somebody would totally ignore a live instructor 10 feet away and stare at a screen for 40 minutes for a freaking indoor and i'm sorry i've taught indoor cycling for 20 years it's yeah not that exciting (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> you go up, go you go faster, down, go slower. <laughs> exactly. There aren't that many variables to, to program in there. Uh, but when you look at it, you know, what is it? What do you think it is about that type of, of video on demand programming <clears throat> that's going to make it more successful? Well, first of all, the the way in which they train their instructors is a system. You know, they've they what the Y can't do and what Denali can't do and what 
um, the other gyms that you and I work for can't do is they can't manage their team and manage the experience so that it's similar with each class that's offered. They have a tendency to hire great instructors, but none of the instructors are on the same page. There's no continuity between the what happens in one cycling class versus the other. So your cycling class may not even be taken by those two people that are on the Peloton bike. They may not even consider it because maybe they went to one cycling class a different day that you're not even there. And it was sort of subpar. So once you have a subpar experience in a health club, you're not even interested in having another experience. You'd rather do your own thing. And I think, I think that clubs aren't, aren't creating continuity between their team members and they're not figuring out what their niche is. Like they're, you know, Peloton knows their niche. They know they, they figured out the trigger for people is motivation. And each instructor is slightly polarizing, right? There's, there's just like big personalities. And I can't tell you how many times people have come to me who love Peloton and they're like, oh, I'm obsessed with so-and-so. And I actually was just on a text message last night with a couple of friends who were sending me snapshots of the instructors they love. <laughs> and they're like, I'm obsessed with so-and-so. And then the other friend is like, oh my gosh, I can't stand her classes. Wow. And what it is is that Peloton's figured out that people want to connect no matter how dramatic that connection is. So uh, if you're not polarizing, you're probably not going to have an audience in their mind. So when you audition, when you audition, you better, you better be strong in one direction. You better not be generally supportive. It's interesting you say that because I taught for in downtown DC for years and I would always be at the progressive health clubs. Well, no, I, I, I take this back. I, I did teach a couple of classes where the Bush daughters, this was in the two thousands mm. where the Bush daughters um, were members and there are a lot of white house officials there. And so I didn't say anything about the Bush administration there at that location, but I would kind of like go off on John. I'd basically steal whatever John Stewart said the night before on the daily show and just rant on whatever stupid thing that Dick Cheney or, or George Bush had done, you know, the previous uh -huh. day, you know, because uh -huh. I knew my audience at, the, at these progressive health, you know, these progressive yeah. neighborhoods in DC and I would go there and, and now being outside of DC, I've found that politics doesn't play that well. You know, it's just, yeah. I always have to find, I fear for fitness instructors, it's kind of like our job to watch TMZ because anybody, you can always, you're always safe with going to the celebrity gossip. You can't That's talk right. politics. You can't talk religion. You got to be careful about sports, but you certainly can talk about whatever Justin Bieber did or, you know, right. <laughs> cause that's always right. safe. So th th let me ask you this question. Cause it, it, it occurred to me earlier, you're talking about an instructor selling like a class or selling a format to the members. You know, if you're bringing people along and you want to, if you're an instructor, you, you want to get people excited about yoga and cycling as well as bar. What do you think it takes for an instructor to develop that confidence? Like how long did it take you to develop that confidence, Tricia, where you felt confident walking into a room and owning that space? Because the first few classes are scary as heck. How mm -hmm. long did it take for you to kind of feel comfortable in your skin as an instructor? Oh, gosh, that's an interesting question. I, well, I was a performer. So I, you know, performed for years until I was 19. And so I didn't, I never had issue getting on stage. And I still, um, don't mind getting up on stage. Talking on stage is a whole different element. Uh, what Carrie, An Carrie Anderson was actually my mentor in the business. She's here in Seattle. And 
for your listeners that don't know her, well, you should. She's I, arguably the best cure in the industry still to this day. I've never seen anybody do it better. She's a powerful uh, resource. And she said to me, Trisha, when you put the microphone on, you have to become a personality. You have to evolve into a different version of yourself because it becomes too personal if not. And I always found that really like at first I was like, I don't know, I don't want to pretend I'm somebody else. And the reality is there has to be an element of that. There has to be an element of this is a small performance because to grow a crowd, this isn't one-on-one training. She never suggested I had to put on airs when I'm training one-on-one, but she said, when you get on that microphone, you're an entertainer, you're an educator, and you're an inspire, you know, you're you're an inspira- inspirational leader. So it's like you really do have to put all three of those hats on. You can't just go in and teach a quality class. It's not enough anymore. And I think Peloton is proving that to us. So we sat for years and years before the studios kind of came on onto the scene. We we all kind of sat back and said, we got this. Look at, we've brought in all these people. We taught these step classes, these cycling classes. We were packing it in. And I'm just not certain we understood at the time that there's always an element of entertainment that had to come along on the journey. And I think Peloton's nailed it. And I think every program that I've just watched one of their boot camp programs, un- unbelievable, unbelievably good. They've nailed it. They get it. They get that they find that starlight quality. And so it's frustrating because sometimes the starlight quality takes away the educational value of what we do. And I think that bothers a lot of us in the industry. It's like, um, you know, gosh, I've got this, all this education. I do all the research. I plan quality classes, but the real thing they care about is, you know, what, what kind of celebrity gossip I can give them and how I can motivate them through this, you know, Tabata training. Like, you know, huh? and I'm, I'm just, I'm just laughing because I totally commiserate with you. Like, cause there are people, especially it's a general, I, I would argue it's a generational thing, right? Is that I would say instructors of our generation, and that's where I'll leave it. Instructors of our generation. We are, <laughs> we've always been focused a little bit more on, like what you did with your studio. We care. We want people to engage. We want to give people more. We want to inform people. Whereas I think some of the younger instructors that have kind of gotten into the industry during social media are all about, they just want to wow. They just want to get your eyeballs. They yeah. just want to impress you. So they're really, yeah. you know, yeah. do you agree with that? And what do you think an instructor listening would do? And we'll get ready to wrap up the conversation. What would be nutrition if somebody came to you, Trisha, and said, I want to be a stronger instructor. Are there any drills or any, is it, or is it just practice? Is there anything a, a, yeah. young, a relatively young instructor focus on, or yeah. is it just a matter of, of repetition and just developing your, your, your voice, your, your style? It, actually, that's a, it's a very good question. In fact, we're, I'm actually on the back end and I can't share the name of it yet, but I'm on the back end of writing an online course that just is nothing but it's not about like format and structure of a class. It's not about the kinesiology of the class. It's how to become a great instructor. And that's a big, broad, sweeping description, but it's what is the connection you have with people? How and why, how do you communicate? How do you look at people? How do you, how do you structure your time before a class? How do you utilize music? 
are you well educated in music? Do you do you understand music mapping? All of these things matter now. Um, and what we've done with Bar Above, and I think part of why it's become so successful is we have an eight-hour training course day that focuses on format and structure and what goes in the class and what comes when and where do you stand at the bar and where you know how do you coach the wall and blah blah blah. And then we have a whole other nearly six hours of content they have to go through before they get their uh, certification in hand. That's basically what I call the sprinkles on the cupcake. It's the how to understand music, how to communicate. In a, in a way that really connects with people, whether they're in the cognitive stage of learning or they're, you know, they've been with you forever. How do you, um, how do you cue? Is there, do you have a cueing hierarchy? I mean, we argue that there's a hierarchy. Every time you set up the next series, there's, you should actually be processing what comes next in terms of what comes out of your mouth. There's, it's not a free for all, right? Because if you look at what's happening in Peloton instructors, there's a system. There's an absolute system. When you go to core power, there's a system. I won't even, I've actually been through core power education, so I won't share it now, but there's a three-step system with every single pose and it, and it's, it's a communication system. And so we have to give, we have to learn a communication system. The other, the other um, thing I have to say is that I say to young instructors all the time, I work with instructors here in Seattle. I have a, a friend named Kaisa who uh, has 700, you know, I don't know, probably close to a million followers now. She's crazy um, popular that way. And it's interesting. There's there's the Kaisas of the world, and then there's the young somethings that are just like, wow, I'm really famous. Kaisa is, has her degree, an advanced degree in, in, um, in education around uh, injury treatment. But she has this huge following. She makes her living there, but she actually has a passion for getting involved in the educational world. And that excites me. On the flip side, I meet new young trainers who are like, wow, my class is so full. I'm so amazing. And I sometimes think to myself, I don't want to be the old lady who says it, but those instructors, unless you have more than the entertainer hat on, and, you know, if you're just following a system somebody handed you and you're just entertaining, this is a short time career. This is like a this is a, a blip on your on your life. And I, I, that's really sad to me because most of us that are, you know, in our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s that are still in fitness and have been forever. I think it's because we understand all three components. You're an educator, you're an entertainer and you're a motivator. And those three things are difficult skill sets and you have to be willing to develop them. You have to be list, you know, you have to be willing to music map. You have to be willing to communicate better. You have to be willing to read books. I mean, this is, it drives me insane. Like you've got to be willing to read, um, books that will make you a better instructor. You've got to be willing to go to education. You've got to, I can't tell you how many instructors in Seattle or trainers and instructors in Seattle had no idea that idea PT West was in Seattle for like five years. <laughs> I would, I would literally lose my mind. I'd be sitting in a, you know, group of personal trainers and instructors. I'm like, yeah, you guys going? They're like, what is it? What? <laughs> like, and, that, and that's funny you say that. I laugh because when I was working full-time in a gym, if there's an education event, and this is a D.C. area, 
hey, there's an education event within maybe a hundred miles. I was there. If I, yes. if I had the time, if I could take the time off of work, because I never looked at it because you can always write vision off as a, as a business expense. I always, if there was anything within a hundred miles that was somewhat intriguing, you know, the idea, this is, you know, back in the day they had, you know, a different idea person, but they used to do it in DC and, and I'd go and it just was, I don't understand. That always blows my mind when, when people are like, oh wait, there's a, there's a conference. What is that? Why would I go? It's yeah, like the it's question, like, why, why, why wouldn't you go? <laughs> I know. You know, it's, it's our industry to make a living in our industry for better or worse, isn't, is, isn't just passion. It's hustle. You know, it's, it's the, you have to be willing to hustle. You have to be, and I don't mean hustling, like hustling a deal. You have to be willing to work hard. There's no, you know, when I have trainers tell me, oh my gosh, I had a 10 hour day. I'm just like rolling my eyes. I'm like, you're not even serious with, you're not seriously telling me this. Like life is about the hustle and it, it isn't just fitness. And unfortunately, I think probably in our industry, we only see our the downsides of what we do professionally, like what we're compensated, what we're not compensated, how hard we work. Uh, you know, I, I agree, but I also then I look at, um, we have a family, our family's in the shoe business, my husband's family is, and our uncle who you would think is, you know, a big name in fashion, you would think he's like, you know, relaxing, hanging out. No. We call him the cobbler because if you walk into his office, first of all, he's always there or he's always working and he's always designing shoes. He's got samples and nails and hammers. And I mean, it's absolutely insane. And I think we forget that the world to survive in this world and thrive, you have to have passion and heart and you have to have hustle. And, and 26 years later, 27 years later, I'm, I still want to hustle. And I know you do too. It's like, that's, that's what drives us is the excitement and, the, and watching people succeed and, and just knowing that people are going to live longer, you know, it's, it's, it's not even just so much about, I think we've gotten our arms around, okay, now I can fit into my clothes. No, now it's about, do you want to be at your great granddaughter's wedding? That's always my goal now. That's all I think about. That's the, I have my eye on the prize. And I say that to my clients all the time. You're doing this because you want to get to your great granddaughter's wedding, not your granddaughter's wedding. You want to be that guy or that girl in the pews where everyone's like, look at their 106 year old grandmother. She looks fantastic. And she's at her great granddaughter's wedding. Amazing. I mean, that's, this is the live longer experience. It's funny because that, that is, you know, I mean, that's my approach to everything. And, and I joke with people. I've never, ever, ever, I'm a short, stocky, uh, I used to wear the husky pants from Sears, you know, short, stocky, white kid. I have never <laughs> been fast, but my goal is, you know, I'm in my mid forties. I got 30 more years to do this. My goal is I'm going to be one of the fastest sprinters on the senior, on the senior, uh, sprint circuit, the senior Olympics when I'm in my seventies. Because you're going to keep sprinting. Because I'm going to keep sprinting. If I maintain my speed and don't lose any speed, I should be all right looking at the time. So, you know, in 30 years, but I got a little bit of time. Do you think we're, we're there at that point where we're, people are starting to switch, you know, flip the switch? And, and I would argue that Seattle is one of those more progressive areas where people in Seattle probably exercise because things they want to do and they, they, they understand the role it plays in a healthy life. Whereas people in Miami or L.A. or where I live in San Diego – exercise primarily for the appearance of it. Do you, are you starting to see that people are switching 
to go from exercise to lose a few pounds to exercising because they know it's going to enhance the quality of life? Yeah, I think the conversation is, is well, I agree with you. I think Seattle's a really unique, I mean, we're just a unique space. And that, that does, and I say that like with a lot of pride, I feel like the coolest thing I, I hear is I say to somebody, we were, we're doing this, um, I think it's called uh, Precision 8 or what, what's it called? I'm sorry, my head is foggy. Um, where you do 30 second intervals with active recovery for 90 seconds. Hmm. Anyway. We were doing these the other day and I said to them, do this because at three o'clock today, you're going to have a surge of energy and you're going to feel better than you have all week. And it's going to feel really ugly right now, but at three o'clock today, it's going to be great. So I get this text from one of my class students and she says, can I just tell you that I usually about three o'clock want to sit down and scarf on like some crappy food, but... Instead, I had this amazing amount of energy. I went and picked up my kid and we went to the park. And she's like, and we never do that. And I just thought to myself, they're okay with the conversation here not being about losing weight. Where I agree, when I travel to the bigger markets, there's a lot, there's a lot about like, you know, looks and bathing suits and let's get in shape for I mean, I can't I can't even imagine the words coming out of my mouth like, oh, it's bikini season. Like you just wouldn't say that in Seattle. It would almost be like insulting. <laughs> you, so, get a fish, you get a, you get a 20 pound fish thrown at you from somebody who go to Pike, get a, get a fish. Ex- yeah, exactly. So, yes, I think we're turning the corner. I think the looks thing is always going to be a, a piece of the equation for people who I think that that becomes a part of the equation when people have more time on their hands. So when you're not when you're working full time, raising kids, maybe you have a significant other, maybe, you know what I mean? When you start adding those layers, you there's no way you're like, oh, gosh, I hope I look good in my bikini. Like you're just trying to you're just trying so, to keep it together. So all you 20 somethings out there, sorry, but it's going to catch up with you someday. You're going to wake up and realize you've got a couple little things falling you around and you're driving a minivan. So. That's yeah. when you realize that it doesn't it's really real. <laughs> That's when, yeah, you're, you're making selfies. So last question to wrap up, and I really I appreciate your time. And, and you've mentioned this a little bit. What are future trends? What do you see kind of putting on your crystal ball isn't into the future? And again, what the reason why I ask this is people listening, what should they start thinking about maybe education-wise or maybe programming-wise? What do you see happening in the years? Not just bar, but overall yeah. in our industry. I mean, obviously we can't, if you could predict the future, you'd be retired because you'd be playing the stock market or betting yep. NFL games. But in your opinion, what do you think we, what should, what trends do you think we'll see and what should people be paying attention to? I think fusions are the number one thing that are going to grow and they're going to, they're, the word fusion is going to, we have to get rid of it from a consumer communications place. Like we don't want to be like, oh, we're offering fusion programming. They don't care. That's not what they want to hear. They don't even want to know why we're offering it, but the idea of taking the components of physical fitness and molding them into classes where you get your cardio and your muscular endurance. Um, I have a, a dance program I'm, I'm helping create on the topic of hit and dance, which is, you know, just incredible. I think our, our number one program here in Seattle is pedal and pulse, which is bar and, and cycle. It's, it's because people come in, they can get more out of the hour that they commit. I think that, I think that trend is 
going to be imperative when the economy tanks. I say that, that sh I shouldn't say that, but I agree with you. I think it's, it's on its way. Um, I think that people leaving those studios to come to a gym and get more out of the hours that they have to give to fitness will be really important. I think that weight training is on the rise for women. I think that, in fact, I'm looking at the clock because I'm meeting my lifting partner at 1.30 for a quick 30-minute session, but I'm seeing that women recognize the value of lifting weights in your 40s and 50s and 60s. It's like it is the thing that will keep us young more than anything else. And I think that that's people are really starting to understand it. It's starting to be communicated in digestible um, tidbits to populations of women and they're kind of catching it. They're like, oh, and so now I'm seeing women in the weight room. Uh, I do think classes in the weight room are gonna be a big thing if you fast forward two or three years. I think that there's gonna be, like I wanna teach a class, you know, women who lift, not because I only want women, but or ladies who lift, because I know that women want to get into the weight room who never felt like they could go into the weight room. And they're, they're, they're reading that it's valuable, but they just don't know how to dip their toe into it. So I think if gyms could get their arms around the spacing of that and offer six-person small group training classes in the weight room where people actually learn how to lift weights and, and are appropriately um, provided like how much weight they should, you know, I see women get on the machines and they're like, I think I'm doing the right thing. You know, I've never been in here. I, I think those kinds of classes would be really valuable. I, I totally, I agree with you on that. Trisha, how can people follow you? I mean, I know you have all the social media stuff and if people want to find out more of what you're doing or what's happening with Xavier and it's in yeah. bar above, what, how, how do people track you down and, and stay in touch with you? I am just, and I'm happy to give it away. I am at Trisha, T-R-I-C-I-A dot Murphy, M-U-R-P-H-Y dot Madden, M-A-D-D-E-N at gmail.com. Um, on Instagram, I'm at Murph, like the dog. What was my nickname in high school? Murph Madden, at Murph Madden and Twitter and Murph Madden. At Bar Above, we're at barabove.com. We're going to be launching three new, very exciting programs, so uh, stay tuned. I hope in a year's time we'll be able to say, gosh, I can't believe it, but they've they've done it again. They're launching another successful program, two or three. So we're working on some big things over at Xavier, and I'm excited to build another team of uh, rock stars. That's awesome. Well, Trisha, I really appreciate your time. I'm glad we had a chance to catch up. And for listeners, Trisha Murphy Madden, if you want to get into the programming and the operational side of, of the education of what we do, she is definitely someone to, to pay attention to and, and follow along with. So thanks for your time, and, Trisha. And ask questions. I, I think I want to say that. Just anybody who, in the industry who has a question or an idea, I, I never mind spending time with people, you know, brainstorming and think tanking things. I, I think it's really important we give each other that time. No, I think you're right. Not enough people. People that want to do what we do should ask us. I mean, that's how I got here. That's how I think you got here. Oh. She has questions about how we got there. Well, I that's appreciate right. your time, Trisha. Uh, I know you need to go get, get your swole on. Uh, so that's right. I, and I can let you uh, slow down that more. That was a, a really fun conversation. 
And now for those of you listening out there, you, you maybe you, you've taken sessions or workshops with Tricia, maybe you've taken sessions with me at you know, various conferences or workshops that you know either of us have taught. One of the reasons why I really enjoy doing this podcast, and selfishly, I mean, one of the reasons why I started getting into education, and one of the reasons why I enjoy this podcast and doing the writing that I do, is I learn. Every time I interview somebody, every time I research something, every time I get ready to teach, I prepare to teach a workshop, I learn. That's why I got involved in education, was I enjoy training clients, but I wanted to learn a lot more about how the body responded to exercise. And Trisha is one of these people where, let's face it, I'm more of a personal trainer, strength and conditioning, power, functional training, yada, yada, yada. See something heavy, pick it up, carry it, throw it, drag it. That, that's my approach to fitness. I understand that everything works. Everything. I'm going to take a pause, except for anything Tracy Anderson says. However, besides Miss Anderson, everything else <laughs> works to some degree. And bar is one of these formats where I'm just not that familiar with it. It's not my wheelhouse, right? You're, there's not, you're not throwing something, lifting something. So I've taken a couple bar classes, uh, admittedly, you know, and, and to see what the buzz was about. And you know, it's a decent exercise program. Um, would I take it for, for, for why I train? Probably not, but could I see why other people enjoy it? Absolutely. And let's keep in mind, folks, we have to remember this about exercise. What you may think or what you may think about a particular exercise really for all intents and purposes doesn't matter. You could have reams of data to back you up. But here's what's the important thing. Does it get 25, 30 people coming into a studio the same time every day or the same time every week? Yeah. If it does that, if any format does that, guess what? We're getting a positive contribution. One of the most important benefits of group fitness is the fact of being in a group. It's not necessarily the exercise. It's the fact of you're in a social environment. You're having a positive experience. You're seeing other people putting forth positive energy to try to change their lives. That is, that is the essence of group fitness. That's the essence of exercise, of joining the gym, is you're going there to try to do something to be 1% better. You know, recently we, we turned the calendar on a new year, and, and a couple of people have shared some of these memes, and this, this does bring a tear to my eye. Think about the amount of courage. Think about when you, the first time you walked into a gym. Think about the first time you walked into a fitness facility. How intimidating was that? How much fear is there? Going to something new, especially if you're you know, one, two, a couple pounds overweight, a few pounds. You, you know, people make fun of you. So what should we do? We should welcome these people. We should embrace them. We should say, hey, you're here. What can we do to help? If you're a member of IDEA, if you're a fitness professional, it is our obligation to make, this, to, to make an environment that's friendly for every, everybody. There were a couple of these stories already this year, new, relatively new year, about people being ostracized, being laughed at at the gym because they're large. If you see that, please do something about that. Go up to, to the person that might be being made fun of. Introduce yourself. Offer to help. We are supposed to be inclusive. We're, we're an environment where people come to get better. That's what Trisha is talking about. She's talking about creating programs where everybody can be included. Everybody can be included. And BAR is one of those programs. So let's look at how can we make exercise more inclusive. You know, we're starting a new year. Make that your goal. You know, whatever else you got going on in your business this year, look around. Whatever classes you teach, whatever formats you teach, what can you do? How can we all, I'll put this on myself too, how can we all make exercise more inclusive? Because what I don't want to see, what none of us want to see going forward 
are these stories about people being laughed at? That doesn't happen, folks. Would you make fun? Jamie Atlas, a good buddy of mine, a personal trainer out of uh, out of Denver, posted a meme two or three years ago. Would you make fun of a homeless person at a job fair? Think about that. A homeless person at a job fair is there because they want to do something better for themselves. You don't know what the story is, why they ended up you know, not having a home, not having a job. But if somebody goes to a job fair, guess what they're looking for? A job to get better. If somebody comes into the gym, it doesn't matter how much extra weight they're carrying. It doesn't matter what they did or didn't do yesterday. What they came in the door today is to get better. That is our responsibility. So having this conversation with somebody like Trish, I got off on a little t- tangent there. Having a conversation with t- somebody like Trish really reminds me of the power of the group. The power of group exercise, regardless of the format, is that it helps you feel involved, regardless of your background, regardless of what you're going through. I've, I've talked to somebody I know is going through a really tough divorce right now. And, and exercise is one of the ways that she's relying on to deal with that. You know, So we don't know the story that people bring in with them when they come to the gym. What we do know, what we can do, what we have the obligation to do, is as Trish and I discussed this, make it a memorable, make it an enjoyable experience. Keep them coming back. Hopefully out of this conversation, you got a few ideas about programming, how to be more inclusive. Trisha really is just one of the, altogether just the most, I'll say awesomest. Awesomest might not be a word, but I've only gotten to know her the, recently and I really have enjoyed our conversations. She brings a lot of energy and I can't tell you, you know, Trisha, if you're listening, if anybody's still listening this late, you know, she has one of the best reputations. Everybody I've talked to, you know, like I said, I've only begun to become friends with her, but she has one of the best reputations in the industry for doing programming and for running uh, running the bar program. So it really was an honor to have that conversation and learn a little bit more about bar. And for the coming years, guys, let's try to be more inclusive. Let's look around. How can we offer a hand up? How can we help people? If someone looks like they're a little bit out of place at your facility, offer them a hand. Ask, hey, can I help you? You look like you might need some help. Can I can I offer you some assistance? Be that person. Be the difference. Be that one person that keeps somebody coming back to the gym. You have that power in you. Thanks for tuning in this episode of the Idea Powered Entrepreneur. Look forward to having you join us in future episodes.